Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 48 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Ashley Morris on the show with us today. Ashley has been recognised as one of the world's most influential leaders in corporate social responsibility. Ashley has dedicated her career to helping shift organisations to a more sustainable, circular future for generations to come. She is joining us today to share her knowledge on how organisations can move towards becoming more circular. Let's get into the episode. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Ashley, what's your backstory? Like what events triggered this direction you have taken in life to helping, you know, organisations create a better future for the planet and others? Well, trying to take a very long story and make it short. I grew up on a regional farm, actually, on the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast, so a beautiful, idyllic place. I had a strong attachment, of course, then to the natural environment and everything that it provided to us. But I kind of lost my way through my teenage years. I left school and, and home early and kind of spent quite quite a few years just getting up to all types of bad things. But I had this long-term desire to really contribute, to really use my my life to support the natural environment. And so I actually returned to university. I went to university through a free tertiary preparation pathway and I got a credit to get in to get do a degree, which was environmental health science. And that like changed my whole trajectory. There were so many like professions that I didn't even know existed that were supporting change in the world. And so when I learned about that and I was in my degree, I, you know, I learned about this prime minister scholarship. And I actually was the first student at the University of Sunshine Coast to get a scholarship through the Prime Minister's office to travel to Indonesia for one year to look at the drivers of waste pollution. Now, that was my first real understanding of how our current economy, which is linear, take, make, waste, was heavily impacting the environment. I was seeing the end of pipe uh, waste for millions of people across Indonesia. So that was a real eye-opening experience for me. And really then when I went to further my studies, because I was really intrigued by what was happening in, in terms of waste, I went to the University of New South Wales. I studied, studied under Laureate Professor Venus Ahadjawala. People love Venus, probably know Venus. She's on a, lot, on a lot of TV programs at the moment. Yeah. And so she was my uh, honours supervisor, and I was this time studying the, looking at electronic waste. Again, a big problematic area. I did a documentary showing for one of our major banks that one of their laptops actually ended up in Ghana and was pulled apart by a 14-year-old, and I did this in conjunction with the ABC. So just a really powerful study but really showed a major problem systemically. But in that course of that work, I had learned about then the circular economy as this new model, and it was what catalyzed me to just leave what I was doing and change the course of my career to then focus on really trying to solve the problem, not treat the symptoms. And for me, when I was addressing waste and researching waste, I was just putting a Band-Aid on a very big problem, and I didn't want to do that anymore. Wow. So there's been some real influences on your career, Ashley, I can see. Like you, yeah. you, you named some really driven, you know, moving people there. Um, and you've also, I guess, seen some shocking things too. Like it, 
it must have been a real shock seeing what you saw in Indonesia to inspire yeah. you and follow you forward so much. Yeah, I I went when no uh, Australian goes because we all think we actually think Bali's Indonesia, but <laughs> yeah. Bali's just one of the eleven thousand islands that make up Indonesia as a country. Yeah. So I actually spent that year in Java, which is their most populous island, and I went to. They're, they're not even, I wouldn't classify them as landfills. They are actually just depository points for like tons and tons of waste. There are children there picking out through the waste and, of course, adults. They run their cattle there, not like our country where we have lovely green pastures for our cattle. Cattle are run across the, these mountains of waste and they're sold, you know, this island is very heavily with Muslim religion, so they sell their, those cattle at Ramadan. So the, the material that those cattle were eating was inside the cattle, of course, and then being ingested by people. So I, there were so many layers of how this was extremely problematic, and it was eye-opening. You know, and not only that, one of the major sites of waste in that country was co-located next to the top of their one of their water supplies for a major city. And I tested the leachate, what the, the liquid that runs out of a waste pile, to see what toxins were in there, and I can tell you, <laughs> off the Richter scale. So... For, you know, for someone, like I came into university when I was 21, you know, and then by the second year of my degree, I had traveled now and was living in a, a country for the first time in my life and looking at the end of pipe for a country that has so many people in a high, you know, very high density. It it was a catalytic moment for change for me. It was like, I've got to do something about this. But I thought at that time, the best thing I could do was continue to learn, continue to study continue to focus on addressing end of pipe until I did learn about the circular economy. And then, then for me, I was, I could not be contented by just putting those, again, those band-aid type approaches on a big, big problem. Yeah. You've got to the source of it, the root cause of it, and then looking at mm. solutions on how can we shift the whole world here? So yeah. I can see that was a real pivotal <laughs> moment. And, but for our listeners, Ashley, like we're talking about that, you know, take, make, dispose, end of pipe, waste situation and sometimes we don't see it you know in our day-to-day life touring around we don't see it but you went and saw it and I guess you described mm. for our listeners there what is happening in many countries and I guess there's also outcomes in all countries with this massively but mm-hmm. for our listeners that don't know actually what is the difference between the end of pipe style approach and the circular economy I think that's such a good question and I, I mean just to pick up on one of your points I think I want a listener to understand, you know, waste is out of sight, out of mind, but if if we just reframe the way we see the world, everything right now in the room I'm sitting in, the room you're sitting in, at some point in our current economy will end up what we would class as waste. It's everywhere. It's everything. It's not just what you put in that bin. And that's how our society and how we manage materials today. So it's really problematic. So when we talk about today's linear economy, it's about extracting virgin resources, which we then make into products that break. We do that to stimulate economic growth. So it's all about mass production and scale and mass consumption. Now, when we that particular part of the this current economy is where we see the massive externalities, the negative externalities of climate change, impact to global warming, modern slavery, because we when we're producing things at mass scale, we're moving into markets that are cheaper because the human labor is quite expensive. So, of course, Asia becomes the manufacturing base of the world and we're not doing it here in Australia. And, of course, when we, we want to get away with things at scale, we do it in those markets as well because regulations aren't as strict as countries such as Australia again. 
So big externalities that arise. But because we're making products to break because we want you to buy more to stimulate our economic growth, then we get a lot of waste. So the majority of what we put into our global economy, actually 91% of all raw materials that come into our economy end up as waste. Wow, 91%. 91%. And what I want to say to people is, so that's our current linear economy. Imagine now if we captured the value of that 91%, what we could be, how robust our societies could be, resilient you know, and prosperous if we were actually valuing materials holistically. Now, to talk about what the circular economy is and how it differs from that linear take-make-waste model, the circular economy is an economic performance-based model. It's designed, and that's a really key word I want to focus here on, it's designed to be restorative and regenerative. And those key, two key words are used because it, this model focuses on what we would call biological materials. So things like cotton, food, and wood, they're biological materials. They need to be returned to regenerate our natural systems. So that's where that regenerative aspect of this model comes in. So anything that's of that nature, it needs to go back to things like our soils to regenerate them, which then provide renewable resources back into the economy. Now, the restorative part, that's what we talk about hard durables, things like steel, any of our metals, our crude oil-based plastics, long-lived products or materials. That's when we look at all of the R's, you know, reuse, manufactured, but in the very last resort, recycling. It is the option of last resort. I really want to highlight that because people are like, I know what circular economy is. It's recycling on steroids. <laughs> and it's not, it really has nothing to do with that. So the circular economy is an economic performance-based model that is designed to be restorative and regenerative. It has three key principles which are really easy and logical. First, design out waste and pollution. So we're not dealing with waste at end of pipe here. We're designing it out through better processes. Keep products and materials at their highest value for as long as possible. We no longer want to make things to break. We want to build things to last and have a new commercial strategy to support that. Last is to regenerate natural systems. Look, we've gone so far beyond, you know, an approach to do less bad. We actually need to do more good. And for us, the linear economy is extractive. We take more than we ever give back to our natural environment. Sustainability, it's a one-to-one -one ratio. Look, we'll take this and we'll give that back. We're doing good. We can't do that anymore. It's no longer good enough. We have to be restorative and regenerative, which is the circular economy model. I know that was a long explanation, but I really just wanted to unpack some of that for the listeners. Oh, Ashley, that was brilliant. Like I really well described. So you've got the two, two sides of it, with, which is the biological and the restorative. And then you've got the, the three key elements you spoke about there, which was, you know, the reduce, reuse and sustain, and then also the recycle. But the recycle, it's interesting that you say that's the last thing. Why, why is recycle the last thing you should think to, Ashley, with it really when it comes to that side of things? Because when we recycle they, materials, they inherently lose value. And when we, we want to focus on the, you know, the R's or the innermost loops of a butterfly diagram, which is part of our circular economic model, which seeks to have reuse, you know, sharing, like maximum utilization of a resource. When we need to put more resources in to bring something back to a, a state, and in this case of recycling, it's often a, a lower quality state, it's, it's the option of last resort because it's taking more again from the system. When that product, if design right, especially because it's a hard durable, should be in use for a very long time. And we can find strategies like, say, modularity or designing things for 
remanufacture that make things you can just change a component not the whole product right now we're in a society where it's kind of just mass flow one way we put something in a bin and that's you know that's actually not recycling at that point a product's not recycled until it's back in the system yeah it's it's a really neat concept and actually i actually saw a company do this back in the early noughties quite well there's a company called mm-hmm. datamax they designed a very industrial um it was a industrial barcode printer you know for labeling in a factory or a warehouse mm-hmm. they made it modular they made it solid out of aluminium which is you know mm-hmm. and basically i still see them about the industry everywhere the things do not break and if something does break it's plug and play by the operator to be able to yeah. get it running again you know everything's got like locking pins so you can't you you can't get it wrong when you put the part back in <laughs> it, you have it right yeah Smart design. Smart design. I don't think it was, I don't know if it was done for the circular economy back then, but it's. No, but, and, but I think that you bring up a really key point. You know, people will say, well, my great grandparents, you know, did this, you know, they built things to last. They had a strong focus on community and they certainly never wasted a thing. Indigenous cultures certainly have practiced the philosophy of a circular economy, living in harmony with the natural world for millennia. And also you're right. There are so many companies and whether they called it efficiency or effectiveness or just better way to operate, you know, that have been practicing the circular economy or elements of it for quite a long time. Yeah. It's now how do we bring modern day understanding of uh, societies and bring in new technologies coupled with this new economic model and paradigm to actually achieve systemic change? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's so powerful when you think about it because I was just thinking, actually. I think their driver was largely customer experience. How can I make it so easy and fast and simple for anyone to keep this thing running and yeah. reduce their impact of cost ongoing? And yeah. um, you can get so many win-wins when you start thinking this way, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the higher and more elevated thinking we need. You know, this is not about a waste management solution. It's not, and it should be driven by the question on how can we provide, what value do we want to provide and work from there? You know, and what you'll find is you will inadvertently design out waste. Your product will last longer. It'll have greater customer and sustained relationships with customers and your markets. And somehow through there, you'll probably consider, you know, how you regenerate the natural system, whether that starts to be you're getting renewable energy into your operations, whether you're redirecting some of your materials to go where they need to go when they do reach end of first use. It's a fundamentally different way to think about it and the questions we ask ourselves. So I really like that you kind of, brought up these points and it's directing people to to think about that yeah the the examples are everywhere out there aren't they it's just Mm -hmm. that innovation piece to really drive it forward which i'm keen to go into now ashley is what approaches have you seen really work for organizations looking to go from a more linear to a more circular approach i think or to bring it back to what we were just touching on first of all it's got to start with people and i think there's a it's got to be people-led and it's got to sit at the heart of a business, not sit on the periphery of a business. Mm. So to do it well, I think you are, first of all, bringing it in where it needs to sit and often for us that's strategy or strategic parts of operations and those teams that are associated. And then bringing in a diversity of stakeholders or divisions across a business because diversity is such a powerful tool to facilitate change toward a circular economy. So it's at the heart of business. You've got a diverse team working on it and you're starting to form your baseline. And this is so important because a lot of a lot of organizations and supply chains have become so long and complex that we just don't really understand our cumulative impact nor contribution in any sort of key metrics. We probably know our our profit and loss, 
oh, we don't know much else. We probably don't even know our entire supply chain and who's in it. So for me, it's about how do we form that baseline understanding about our operation and our supply chains? And then with that baseline understanding, how do we start asking questions about how do we create value and use the principles and business models of a circular economy to facilitate that outcome? Now, I think a a lot of organisations, some of which we're working with in the mining and resources sector, are doing just that, going to the heart of how they operate and asking questions like, will we exist in 50 years? And if we do, what do we want to be contributing? And I think that's allowing people to fundamentally rethink core purpose and how to, with a circular economy, you know, at its heart and the thinking, how do we make sure we're contributing value, we're restoring and we're regenerating. That's really powerful. I love how you say start with strategy and then rapidly move on to people because without it, you know, you're not going to have that alignment and motion forward. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a simple work instruction on strategy and cultural deployment. The steps to engage everyone in your organization in strategic and cultural planning and execution, creating a connected, agile organization. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back into the episode. Actually, you touched on something there too about organizations not being around in the future. You know, there's a potential that many aren't if they don't shift. And I, I'm, it made me think of Clay Christensen. He's a Harvard professor who wrote a book on jobs to be done, which was really about getting to the purpose of what my product does. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess if, if people as part of this can understand what their product actually does for a customer, you can rethink yeah. it, can't you? Like, yes. <laughs> because it's the, I'm, I'm thinking like a lot of the mining companies, you know, they, yes, they're mining, but what's, what's the result? They're actually providing systems and outcomes for people to create infrastructure and structures and a shelter, at, you know, the Elsa. Maslow hierarchy of needs. I find, you know, people, we work where we where we most need to work. And that sector certainly is a place where we need to work in terms of bringing the circular economy, understanding and supporting and empowering those organisations to facilitate change, drive more value. But if you're a company, say like a Rio Tinto or a BHP, you have so much commodity output, you know, what you actually put into the global marketplace the jobs to be done, they are, they are numerous and the value yeah. created is so so vast that it's not even understood at this point. Those supply chains are so big and they are so long and complex and they almost touch every corner of the planet. For me, I don't see those industries as extractive. I see them as a development industry. Yeah. None of us can decouple ourselves from mining. It's everywhere and it's provided us with a lot of our fundamental needs as, as, as beings. But it does and has come at a substantive cost. So the question is, you know, how do we address that? Will this, and if, in, in addressing it, will they still exist in the way they exist today? And what is the value we're actually creating and how do we communicate that? Or how do we be more deliberate about that? Because to be honest, those metals do a fundamental job and many jobs, which are brilliant and critically needed. But how do we broaden that and understand that in a, in a more holistic sense because we don't we don't and haven't fully grasped it yet and that industry has an incredibly poor understanding amongst everyday citizens and a very bad reputation although i think people are, are largely misinformed yeah well i think it's and you and i know that the big a lot of the big miners are going this way and they're on this journey and you know if 
if a mining company can go there and they're starting to move actively in that path and I know uh, of petrochemical companies doing it and mm-hmm. moving that way, you know, everyone can go that way. You know, some of those guys have the biggest yeah. challenges to shift into that new economy of the future, don't they? But what, they actually, what stops organisations doing it? What have you seen that really can be a roadblock to a company moving forward and starting to make progress towards a circular economy? I think as we're fundamentally going to be asking tough questions, they make people feel uncomfortable, you know, and, and I think they also are so fundamental that it, it does incite a little bit of fear, you know, if about identity, there's a little bit of an identity crisis. If we're not that, then what are we? And that that shift, that little middle part that, you know, where we, we provoke the question, we support and empower capability building to actually realising an answer to one of those questions is where there might be a bit of a, this is really nice, this is really nice. Oh, we can't do it. You know, we're at the tipping point, it's too much. You're not going to jump off that mm. cliff. But um, so I think that it's a very human-centred, you know, does my identity carry me through this narrative? You know, do I see myself in it? Do my skills translate? Am I still valuable in that narrative? And I think for people, you know, and, and I will say again, maybe draw it to a mining because it's very relevant to Australia, coal miners, for example, you know, that's a lot of them are multi-generational and they only have identified with being a coal miner. So, again, it comes to this this identity when we start asking new questions. People will talk about the just transition and all of these words, but if you're a coal miner and someone says learn how to do hydrogen, you know, you've got to make sure that someone's identity is carried through that narrative, that they see themselves there, that they feel like they can contribute there because as beings, I think we need to un- we need to understand how we're contributing because I think if we don't, it often cause quite a few bad externalities in our own mental and well-being, but also that in our communities and societies. It's it's not as easy as just transition. There's mm-hmm. people at the heart of this, and people will be what makes or breaks any one type of transformational transition. Yeah. It's such a powerful example, isn't it? Because it's it's differentiating yourself from physically what you do today to day, okay, I mine coal, to yeah. no, I, I create energy. Okay, so what's Correct. the energy for the future? Okay, yeah. how do I shift to be creating energy? Because that's what every coal miner, my my great-grandfather was a coal miner, great-great-grandfather. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was an energy creator. I know, and I think, it, and we can use those words, and I love that framing, but it's making sure that the people, you know, the people at the heart of that identify with that framing. And if they don't, how do we, how do we support them? to find an identity in this new trajectory because there is one and I'm not disputing we, we don't need, we need to go there, but we won't get there is the fundamental point here. We will not get there. And it's one of the biggest barriers to your question is we need to actually take people on the journey with us, which means we need to listen and we need to actually hear them when they, yeah. when they're talking to us through listening and respond in line with that to make sure the solutions or the narrative that gets built is inclusive and representative and respective of diversity because it often hasn't been. Yeah. Well, actually, that, that brings another great element that you've been talking about. Like you mentioned earlier the strategic bit and how an organisation really needs to put this at the heart of their strategic path and the future for themselves, which it's going to happen. So the ones yeah. that do will evolve well. But then there's the other part then that we need to show empathy to all our people and involve mm. our people and then help develop them and help them grow so that they can make the transition. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the way we like to work with organizations is from the cleaning contractors through to the boardroom. And I, and people might say, why, you know, why aren't you just working with the executive and building out the strategy? Because that won't work in my, in my view as successfully, you might get some success, but I think if you're doing and designing systems-based outcomes, you need to speak to all of the people that represent an operation or a system, as many as you possibly can, you know, within any constraints set by a scope of work or project. But for us, we're like, diversity is at the heart. If it means I need to make an extra 50 phone calls or do interviews, I will. If it means I need to go to literally to the coalface, I will, because it has to have empathy at its heart. We need to respect diversity and foster it. And we need to make sure that we build a narrative that's inclusive because then we're actually going to get systems changed. Because again, back to the question before, which is why do things fail? It's because someone will go, oh, there's this circular economy thing. We need to get out. Like we need to get on top of this. So they'll give a massive workload often to one person that's employed to be the sustainability leader for a company. Yeah. <laughs> and then we expect, and then that person might have a baby or, you know, they might move jobs and the whole thing can fall over and there's a lack of continuity. So I just think it's got to be systemic, foster diversity and support it and build a narrative that's inclusive with empathy considered in all work that's done. I can see with what you're saying, Ashley, that you'd end up with a strategic plan and direction, vision and everything that goes with it that's owned by all leadership. And then if that team is skilled at cascading that and involving everyone in the journey, you're going to have a whole organisation that then is at least shown empathy and involved and starting to understand more through that process, I'm guessing, too. Like yeah, it, everyone's it, empowered because every interaction we seek to have, and again, I'm just talking from my own respective experience and approach of how we work, you know, every time we interact with someone, it's about empowering them with understanding of what it is the circular economy can offer them, the organisation that they work, their community, that broader narrative. And when they understand that, then they are empowered to start to do something with that knowledge, whether it's sharing that to one of their colleagues saying, hey, I just had this interview, we're doing this project. And what we often find is, you know, we might be re-engaged or the companies will come back to us and say, hey, look what we've done, you know, with this proud, like they're proud of themselves. And again, it might be the operational team that actually feel like they were heard for the first time, that I felt like the executive was really listening and the strategies respecting what they feel is valuable for the organisation, like their on the ground skills or like and visibility to change is really heard. You know, and I, we often find that then the projects that result are both strategic and practical operational projects. So, again, there's action that results out of core strategy at the senior level and also at the, the way, you know, the actual practical applied teams or contractors working on the ground in different organisations in different markets. Yeah, that's powerful. You end up the whole organisation organism moving forward and saying to improve <laughs> in this, this way. Which is what we need. We, yeah, it's what we need. Yeah, that's awesome. Ashley, what's what's your vision for the future? Like I, I can, you know, you're, you're so passionate, you're so driven, and I know you and the whole Choreo team are really making a big difference, but where do you look to the future now? What's your vision? That's a really big question and one I'm always, like, grappling with. I ask myself every day, like, where am I best placed? You know, where am I best placed? I have this, the deepest of desires to contribute and to just make sure that, all human beings know that they're valued and, and all beings, you know, other species, of course. And that's a, it's a big thing to think about, like, what is that future vision? Of course, I want to see us change from this very 
destructive linear economy, it's affecting all of us, you know, and what you can look around Australia and go, Hey, well, I think it's not so bad. It is pretty bad, <laughs> but yeah. it's where we export lots of the problems. So you don't see them. It's also not sustainable in the long term. And if you come back to anything out of this conversation, remembering we're losing 91% of all value we're introducing into our economy on 91% of those materials. So for me, it would be a full value capture of those materials in the first instance, driven through the principles of the circular economy, and also just addressing the major challenges that are arising through the way we operate today, you know, and making sure as we move to address these things that it has empathy, diversity, and inclusivity as we build this new narrative, because everybody needs to get a, get involved with this transition or transformation towards circularity, because it's not, you know, when we talk about the economy, people feel like it's separate to them, almost like they're in the fishbowl. And the yeah. But it's not, you know, where we are, what makes the economy our single transactions every day. So I think people have this power and I'd, I'd love to see us as a future vision transition toward a circular economy with the integrity of all that that stands for, truly. Yeah, that's a really powerful statement you made there, Ashley, too, that, you know, often we look at the economy and we go, oh, that's the Reserve Bank, that's the government. <laughs> but really, like you said, the economy is what we choose to put our money towards every single day. And we can make a difference and change right now just by choosing to put our money to something that's more circular. Yeah, but just ask questions. Yeah, start asking questions of your where you buy things from, of your local member. Like there's so many things we can do. Where's your super being invested? That's we are we have so much money stored up in our super that's so powerful if redirected. And look, things are changing, but as each one of us has this massive power. I believe in the power of the individual and the power of the collective. Yeah. I think if we all started just just doing little things every day, it would it would catalyze such a change. And the economy, we are part of that economy, every single one of us. And I think it's not separate to you. If you don't understand it, seek to understand it and then look at a different way we could start to do things. And what are the practical ways you can participate? We need a participatory economy. Mm. We can all make a difference. It's neat and create a bit of future. Yeah. Ashley, one thing we're doing now with the um, podcast, the Enterprise Excellence podcast, is providing a two-minute tip video release also. It's just for those people that are time poor and don't have a chance to listen to a 30, 40-minute podcast. But yeah. on your area of expertise, Ashley, what would be your Enterprise Excellence two-minute tip? I'll probably be quicker than two minutes. So if you've never heard of the circular economy or you've heard about it in the context of it's better recycling or better waste management, what I want to share with you is that it's about the economy. It's an economic model. And there's three key principles, and I'd love you to reframe them as questions for your organisation, for your home life, for your community, or whether you know your kids' school, which are how can we design out waste and pollution? How can we keep products and materials at their highest value for as long as possible? And how can we regenerate the natural system? I think if you had those, those three principles reframed as questions, that will make sure that you're part of this new economy that we're trying to create, which is all about circularity, circulation of value versus extraction of value. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's a great tip. If we ask ourselves those three questions every day with everything we're doing, we'll, yeah. we'll make the journey. Yes. <laughs> Ashley, what, what have you learned recently? Like you've given our listeners a lot of insights and new knowledge but what have you learned recently in your area of expertise that you didn't know before what's been a recent insight 
actually of something that come up the other day uh, and then I'm always a student of the circular economy. People refer to me as an expert, but I'm I'm a student and I always will be. I'm always learning here. And, and I think a, it, to have a nice circle pun, you know, there's no end to a circle similar to this journey on, you know, trying to implement the circular economy model. So something I learned the other day um, was actually through Ken and we were talking about the monetary system because a lot of the focus on the circular economy is very much related to materials and materials management or managing stocks and flows that we have in a global economy and what Ken was sharing with me is that we can't have a, a circular economy if we have a linear extractive economy for materials we need to make sure the monetary or the financial systems that we have also move away from extraction so what we mean by that is you know it's about not driving investment into fixed assets but driving investment into the productive economy the people actually working and doing things because where our money goes right now is like, I'll invest in that large-scale development and I'll extract rents from that and I'll get rich in my sleep versus I want to support, you know, new business, new manufacturers, new technologies coming into the market, productive things that are really going to change stuff. If our money's sunk in fixed assets and we're making money off rent, it's extremely extractive and it's not value-creating money. So in a circular model, we very much need to stimulate and create value through driving money into production yeah, that's of different neat. goods, assets, technologies. Yeah, so that, you know, for Ken and I, we're really trying to unpack how do we deliver that message to the everyday person? And, of course, lots of us like to buy a home and have a you know, friend. It's a way we've been able to have an accrue wealth. So it's, it's how do we build a narrative that doesn't threaten that or scare that but show different ways of doing things that can build wealth but create additional value to, the society, to our societies. Yeah. And actually, this uh, podcast is so much about that. You know, it's about creating a better future economically, environmentally, and socially. But mm. you you think about it, like if we in Australia, like I see manufacturers that can compete here. We can make carpet here mm-hmm. and we yeah. can do it competitively. You know, it, yeah. enterprise excellence needed. You need to be slick. You need to be strategically aligned. You've got to be good. But that's yeah. why this podcast has come about is to share this knowledge all over the world but mm-hmm. particularly I've got a passion about Australia with being based here. And yeah. um, boy, man, if we could get more people investing in manufacturing and doing it very well, yeah, that's we a have, future. We're, we're so privileged here with the money that we have in our institutional funds, our super funds, billions and billions of dollars that is often going into fixed assets, not productive business. And I think if we could just redirect like 2% of that, it would be yeah. so powerful, and you're very right. We have phenomenal companies in our market that can compete on a global stage. Evolve Group, fantastic advanced manufacturer led by a brilliant team, you know, that are competing with the Chinese manufacturers. We should foster that everywhere we possibly can. You know, yeah. I love that company, and there are so many others, but I think we need to look at the monetary system as well as the materials and just be smarter with how we want to create value. That's That's the heart of this whole dialogue is value creation and how do we participate in doing that yeah and just the reduction in supply chains that would give us and also the jobs it would create and all the other flow on benefits is just massive yeah (laughs) actually thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and everything you do to help us create a better future how can people reach out to you and get in touch and learn more or connect yeah 
I, I, we love when people reach out, by the way, with all different kinds of ideas or questions. So please don't feel like I'm, I'm not approachable. I certainly am. Um, so the best way to, you can follow what we're doing as a company, but also individually on LinkedIn. So you can look at my profile, Ashley Morris on LinkedIn and message me through there. But equally, I'm very happy, Brad, for people to, to look up my email. But our website is www.coreo.com.au. So if you want to check out our website, our contact information is there as well. Feel free to email, check me out on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect. Thanks so much, Ashley. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for all you're going to do in the future. I can see that you're going to help our <laughs> planet go to good places. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Cheers, Ashley. Bye for now. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a simple work instruction on strategy and cultural deployment, the steps to engage everyone in your organization in strategic and cultural planning, execution, and create a connected, agile organization. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode, design, maintain, regenerate, and secondly, involve everyone in planning and execution. The first key takeaway links back to Ashley's two-minute tip which I found so powerful for all of us to consider in helping move our world to a more circular, sustainable future. How do we design out waste and pollution? Maintain products at their highest value for as long as possible, which links back to the way we design products in the first place. And how do we help regenerate our natural system? Wouldn't it be a wonderful, sustainable world where our economy is designed with no waste or pollution, products and services are maintained at a high level of value for a long time, with a financial approach to suit this, and we all regenerate the natural world. The second key takeaway, involve everyone in planning and execution, is such a common topic on this podcast. So many of our world's experts who come on this show to discuss enterprise excellence raise this as a key topic in achieving sustainable change and excellence. Start with creating a plan, involve others and gain feedback at all levels, and make adjustments. Then help others in your organization form their aligned plans and approaches to execute them in a way that creates a connected organizational organism. An organizational system that can adjust and move quickly as one to create a better future. Thanks again, Ashley. Really appreciate your time and knowledge. Bye for now.